This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Are you looking to save 50, 60, even 70% on your phone bill? Well, here's a tip. Broadvoice.com. Hi, it's Brad Staggs of Blaze TV here. Broadvoice offers high-quality phone service for only $8.95 a month. You may ask, how can I save so much money? What's the catch? Well, the secret is the technology. Broadvoice uses VoIP technology that takes analog audio signals from your phone, turns them into digital data, and then transfers them over the Internet. This means crystal clear sound and cheaper phone bills. Broadvoice has been ranked in the Deloitte Technology Fast 500 and Inc. 500 as one of the fastest growing private companies in America. Get Broadvoice right now for only $8.95 a month. Keep your existing phone number for free and Broadvoice will send you their easy plug-in adapter free. All this and you get unlimited local calling for just $8.95 a month. Plus, for a limited time, Broadvoice will even give you your first month free. Do what we did here at Blaze Radio. Make the switch today at Broadvoice.com or call Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo. Sitting in for Glenn Beck while he's on a well-deserved vacation. And if you're just joining in, joining us, tuning in, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So I got my start in media with Glenn, but I am not a media guy by training. I was a New York City cop, and I was an entrepreneur. Started a company where we provided uh, security services to large online communities and wound up spending more time in the legislative arena and, and really got a front-row seat at how law enforcement and our legislative process worked and realized our country was kind of a mess. And so when I was in a position to do so, needed to expand my platform, decided to expand my platform so I could get some of this information out to you. And, and luckily, Glenn Beck found me about three, uh, three and a half years ago. I was like a little shelter dog. But, but uh, Glenn found me. We had a great conversation on air. We did a segment. Uh, we did a political analysis segment. We went on to profile some of the uh, radical groups in the U.S. and, and created a very nice relationship. And, and I uh, went on to host my own show down here in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and was so flattered when I was asked to stand in for Glenn today and tomorrow on the Glenn Beck Show. And being a guy who was pro-Trump and, and Glenn was so anti-Trump, it was even better. It was even better because it proved to me that there are still some great people in this industry who want their audiences to hear all sides. And it also showed me how we can be friends and disagree on an issue. Isn't that a novel concept? We don't have to get into these knockdown, drag out grudge matches where we lose friendships over political candidates. We lose colleagues. We lose professional relationships. It's silly. Don't do it. Don't do it. But there is a bit of turmoil in uh, the Trump campaign right now. I don't know if you've seen the stories on this, but a couple of days ago, the Trump communications director, Jason Miller, resigned to spend more time with family. Now, I've got an unfair advantage on this one. Because one of the players in this little drama is A.J. Delgado. And you've probably seen A.J. out there. She's, 
she was a, a South Florida and then a national surrogate for the Trump campaign. And prior to that, AJ was a conservative pundit. You would see her frequently on Fox News, uh, many, many radio and television programs, and she wrote a column. But I uh, had a front row seat to many of the goings on with the Trump campaign in South Florida as a member of the media. I was at every rally. And what what this is shaking out to be, and I've got impeccable sources still inside the transition. And what's happening here, and and you're getting pieces of this in the print media, but I was on the phone all last night, and, and this might be the first place right here on the Glenn Beck program. Uh, that you're going to hear what's really happening from sources inside the transition. Uh, it looks as if, and and now what, what it's shaking out to be, is that, that A.J. Delgado and comms director Jason Miller were having an affair. And, and it makes it all the more troubling in that Miller is married with children, a child or children, and I believe his wife is also expecting. Now, I will tell you from personal experience, I had been at two rallies where A.J. Delgado was present, and... I'm not a moralist. I'm not a moral cop. I, I really don't care. But but I go to political rallies. I go to events. I don't care who the candidate is. I go to business functions. There's, there's, there's an appropriate way to look, act, and dress. And I will say that A.J. Delgado was dressed, in my opinion, highly inappropriately for these events. It was a skin, skin, skin-tight dresses, six-inch heels, no other woman, even the young, attractive women, were not dressed the same way. But even worse, it was, and I was with a, a, an advisor, a very close advisor to the Trump campaign, and he's a friend of mine, and he and I were sitting during one of the rallies, the rally in Miami, down in the Brickell area of Miami at the Knight Center. I think it was the last rally that Donald Trump uh, held in South Florida before the election. And he and I were sitting there, and, and people were leaving the VIP, the closed area where the candidate was, where Donald Trump was, and about 15 people who had come out complained about the way A.J. Delgado was acting. And no one understood why. No one understood how this girl, who was picked up as a surrogate and was supposed to just be out there doing her part in the media when, when she was asked to, was all of a sudden acting like she was senior campaign staff. And I saw it as an on-air guy down in South Florida and as somebody that was, was working with the RNC comms people and the Trump comms people as a conservative radio host – I could not get guests booked. We couldn't get guests booked. When Miller was running comms, it became nearly impossible. Now, the people that were running comms prior to Miller and that team, it was very easy to get good guests booked. So I started seeing a difficulty in getting guests booked. And then every time I turn on the television, turn on radio, or read something in print, A.J. Delgado had apparently replaced everyone else on the campaign as the premier spokesperson, spokeswoman. It was very weird to me. Quite candidly, I never saw this coming. We thought maybe she had a relationship with one of the daughters or one of the daughters-in-law, or maybe she had done some legal work for, for some people previously, and or she had a patron that was a donor. But, but what really crystallized for me that there was something else going on was when she became the representative of the Cuban-American community, which is a very important, very significant voting bloc in South Florida. And when I was interfacing with some of the old guard, and these were the solid conservatives, they go to Versailles restaurant and they hold court there. And if you don't know uh, what Versailles is, if you're ever in Miami or you watch any political campaign, whether it be presidential, gubernatorial, congressional, senatorial, when you want the Cuban vote, and believe me, you need it if you're going to win Florida, you go to Versailles. It's a restaurant on Cayo Cho down in Little Havana. That really is the kingdom. That's where you need to hold court and meet with the old guard. And when I started talking to those guys 
and those women, they didn't know who she was. They said, who? Huh? There were so many prominent Cuban-Americans that should have had that role, and many of them were dismayed that A.G. Delgado, a young girl in her 30s, who really came out of nowhere, who was, was a columnist and, and you know commentator, pundit about the media, took a role that many, many other people were better suited for. Well, now it all makes sense. Now, look, again, I'm not the moral police, so I'm not here to, to judge anybody, but campaign affairs happen, and the people who work on campaigns know they happen, and typically, both sides are smart enough to know that that affair ends when the campaign is over. People go back to their life. They take jobs in the administration. There's more, there's more scrutiny on the players at that point, on the, on the ancillary staff. During the campaign, it's all on the candidates. There's limited airtime. The candidates are dueling it out. They're duking it out. But when the campaign is over, they start looking at staff, right? Because if you were the left-wing media and you want to hurt a candidate, well, you have vetted that candidate to hell and back during the campaign. So barring them doing something really stupid or really egregious, there's not much more to report other than your normal hit pieces and attacking their policy positions. And in, in the case of Donald Trump, they beat him up on his tweets, which I happen to like, but I'll tell you why later. But um, you look at the staff. And so Miller was a smart enough guy to realize, hey, they're going to be looking at me. This was a fun fling. Now it's time for real work. We're now, now we are the candidate. Now we've got to go govern. Okay, playtime is over. Let's get back to work. Well, apparently this didn't sit too well with Miss Delgado. Now, what I've been told is an email went out to all of the major players on the transition team depicting and, and detailing the affair. Hell hath no fury like a Cubana scorned. I mean, from what I'm hearing, it was pretty bad. She then took to Twitter with a series of tweets, and one of them referenced a, and it's almost embarrassing for me as a grown man to say this on air, a baby daddy, which seemed to imply there was a little more to this affair, and she was directed at, and she had directed this at Jason Miller. Well, her whole Twitter feed gets deleted, and I was told yesterday that both she and Miller were fired. Uh, Miller was allowed to quietly res- to resign and save face, and AJ's career was quietly killed, and she was made a pariah. And uh, I was told she is on the quote-unquote warpath by somebody very senior in the campaign. But, but you know, my, my point for, for bringing this to light is that we have a duty, right? Whether we're in the, the, the conservative media, the liberal media, when we get information like this, we've got a duty to let you know who the players are. And I think, I personally think Donald Trump's going to be a very good president. And I'm going to tell you why in the next hour. I'm going to explain to you why his rhetoric and, and, and his style never scared me. It didn't bother me as much as did other people, I, but I'll explain why I understand that it did bother and offend and scare some people. But when, when, when I looked at people that worked around this campaign, and, and let me tell you, there was some of the hardest working, most honest, most diligent people working on this campaign, and I knew them. And in the, in the South Florida region, in Florida on the whole, many were friends of mine. It was very disappointing to me to see people taking the limelight. AJ Logato was one of those people. And, and AJ Logato and I haven't, haven't, don't really know each other. She blocked me on Twitter a couple of years ago. I think I disagreed with her on she was pro-Common Core. Because she was a moderate, a center moderate, quote-unquote conservative. And, and then she became this newly, newly minted conservative. I just think it was, you know, she's replaced Chuck Schumer as uh, the person that it's most dangerous to be between them and a camera. But, but uh I, 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 I need to bring this out because a lot of good people were hurt by these grandstanders, hardworking people, and I don't care where you stand politically, people that do work, people that are the grinders, that have the ethic, that are doing the work and don't want the thanks, shouldn't be treated poorly by those who seek glory. And 
karma is an interesting thing. Divine intervention is a really interesting thing. And and all I'll say, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with, this situation seems to have sorted itself out the way it ought to have sorted itself out. It uh, It's going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out. But, but progressives also don't live by this standard. They think they're impervious to any critique, to all the rules, and can act in any way they want. And that was really, really made evident when two gay men attacked a mom and her children on a jet blue flight a couple of days before Christmas. I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about if you don't already know. When we come back, you're with John Cardillo sitting in for Glenn Beck, the Glenn Beck program. This is the Glenn Beck program. Mercury. Hey, John. Are you looking to save 50, 60, even 70% on your phone bill? Well, here's a tip. Broadvoice.com. Hi, it's Brad Staggs of Blaze TV here. Broadvoice offers high-quality phone service for only $8.95 a month. You may ask, how can I save so much money? What's the catch? Well, the secret is the technology. Broadvoice uses VoIP technology that takes analog audio signals from your phone, turns them into digital data, and then transfers them over the Internet. This means crystal clear sound and cheaper phone bills. Broadvoice has been ranked in the Deloitte Technology Fast 500 and Inc. 500 as one of the fastest growing private companies in America. Get Broadvoice right now for only $8.95 a month. Keep your existing phone number for free and Broadvoice will send you their easy plug-in adapter free. All this and you get unlimited local calling for just $8.95 a month. Plus, for a limited time, Broadvoice will even give you your first month free. Do what we did here at Blaze Radio. Make the switch today at broadvoice.com or call 888-332-8036. The Glenn Beck Program. You're on. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo, sitting in for the vacationing Glenn. And I want to talk to you about Ivanka Trump being harassed on a plane. Before we do, we've got a caller, Pete, from North Carolina. He wants to talk about some comments I made on the, the Beslan massacre. Pete, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Hi, Pete. Thanks for calling. How are you doing this morning? Very good, John. Thank you for, uh, for taking my call. Um, I'm actually uh, in Michigan, and we, uh, well, I heard your comments about the, the Beslan massacre and reference to Sandy Hook and uh, these attacks. Uh, there is a solution. After the, massacre at San, after the the massacre at Sandy Hook, uh, as a father and grandfather and two of my friends, similar, we had decided to see if we couldn't figure this out because it was happening with greater frequency and uh, higher numbers of vic- uh, innocent victims. Uh, I'm, I can tell you we have a solution, and it can okay, be implemented in, in weeks or months, not years or decades, uh, that, that the government, government might take to try and uh, solve this problem. It's called the Templar Rapid Response Solution, and uh, I could talk for the rest of the radio program about it, but in a nutshell, it is a comprehensive system that uh, is comprised of some uh, hardware, some software, and some training that uh, gives your staff the capacity to, A, act as a deterrent to mitigate the... the well, well, you know, I think, of- look, I think there's a lot, there are a lot of, there are a lot of 
solutions, and I, and I for one, and, and Pete, thanks very much for the call, but I, but I want to touch on that for a quick second, and then we're going to go to the segment. There are a lot of solutions, but the one that I would, that I always advocate is, is arming staff. The federal government provides money for what are called SROs, school resource officers, and agencies often don't use that money. And uh, I, I think if we, need to, we need to arm staff. We need to train teachers, much like we do with pilots. We have the FFDO, the Federal Flight Deck Officer Program, where pilots can go through this training and, and uh, uh, fly armed. They can keep a, they keep a handgun in the cockpit. We should be doing that with teachers. I, I can't tell you how many friends of mine retired from law enforcement and went on to be elementary, uh, high school, and college level uh, professors, elementary high school teachers, college level professors. One of my very close friends is a college professor here in Florida, at Florida Atlantic University. He's also a reserve deputy. But the rules in place right now don't allow him, a guy who is a trained police officer for one of the larger sheriff's offices in the state of Florida, he isn't allowed to be armed in the classroom. How ridiculous is this? So he leaves his teaching job at a state university in Florida he goes home, puts on his uniform, goes out on patrol with the sheriff's office, protecting the public, but he's not allowed to do what he's trained to do in the classroom to protect his students and others on the campus. To me, that's that's just absolutely ridiculous. And I think that we can, one of the easiest solutions on how to prevent another Sandy Hook or a Beslan style massacre is to arm teachers, put more officers in the schools. And you know what? You've got a lot of parents out there, a lot of grandparents that are retired law enforcement officers. Allow them to volunteer at the schools armed armed these are these people are trained military we have so many we have the we have the best trained military in the world right now after being at war for 15 years so many of them are parents they would volunteer in a heartbeat to stand armed stand guard at the schools the solutions in front of us our population is the solution we're just not allowing it to be utilized because we we, we've been conditioned for eight years that we need to be betas, that we need to be soft, that we need to lie down and die. And I think we saw that. We, well, not, not that. I'm, I'm not going to um, make more important what happened to Ivanka. But the thing I wanted to talk about, if you haven't seen the story, Ivanka Trump and her family, her husband and children, are on a JetBlue flight out of John F. Kennedy in New York down to Palm Beach International for Christmas, uh, for the holidays. You know, her husband is Jewish. And uh, they are accosted by this gay couple who are screaming at her. Now, I don't care. What you think of Donald Trump? You have all the right in the world. You've got a First Amendment protection to go and scream your head off in the public square. Go scream your head off on a college campus. Dissent is American. Dissent is great. Go do what you need to do in the confines of the First Amendment and rant and criticize politicians all day. That's what our nation was built on. But don't scare little kids on a plane at Christmas by attacking them and their mom. Because I don't care if you're a gay couple. You're still two big, imposing, grown men. And so these two guys, uh, Matt Lasner, Matthew Lasner is one of them. I forget the husband was actually the guy. What was his name? Daniel Goldstein. Daniel Goldstein. He's a lawyer. He's a professor at Hunter College, City University. We had that other professor at City University who put cops in the hospital during the era. That's just a a, a bed, an infectious bed of radicalism, New York City, City Universities. But they go and they start scaring this mom and her kids. She didn't run for president. I don't care what your opinion is of Donald Trump. You don't harass a mom in front of her kids. You're still a man. I don't care if you're a gay man. You're still a man. Well, they tried to play victim, right? We were having civil discourse. Meanwhile, we found Lasner's tweets, well, the media did, where he said, my husband is chasing down Ivanka to harass her. Yeah, posting about harassing her. I mean, now, in New York City, that should be an arrestable offense. It should be disorderly conduct. I consulted with some FBI agents, and, and what they told me was, because the cockpit door was open... 
the federal charge of disrupting the conveyance wouldn't apply. It'd be a local law enforcement matter because they hadn't closed the cockpit door and they were escorted off the flight. They weren't arrested. I think they should have been not. But the bigger story here is something else. The bigger story is the progressive mentality has been enabled for eight years to such an extent that these two guys, very liberal, a New York gay couple, one a very liberal lawyer, one a very liberal professor, had no qualms about not just accosting a mother and her young children and scaring them, but delaying. Hundreds of people on a flight on one of the worst travel days of the year. They couldn't have cared less about anybody but themselves and their petty progressive agenda. It's their world and we're living in it. Yeah, it's their world and we're living in it. It's, it's unreal. She's off mic. They're entitled. And if you notice, they didn't shake down Jared. But they didn't shake down Jared. They went straight for Ivanka. I mean, okay, so, so look at it this way. This is a professor and a lawyer, supposedly educated people. And this is the only way you can engage in discourse is is shaking down a mom and her three kids. And they had a child with them as well. So what kind of example I even, are you? I don't know that. Yeah. And how many other kids? A child as well. What kind of example are you saying? And how many other kids on the plane? I mean, I fly from New York to South Florida often. Those flights are family flights. I mean, one third, I would argue you do it as well. You split your time. One third of the flight are children. Absolutely. And these guys didn't care. They knew they knew they were going to disrupt the flight. They knew they were going to ruin holiday travel for people. Progressives don't care. They matter. No one else does. No one else does. Well, we saw this with the Not My President protest when they were so appalled that Donald Trump might not, you know, accept the results of the election. And then they're burning down the streets. We're going to be talking about transgenderism. Is it legit? When we come back here with John Cardillo, the Glenn Beck program. You're clear for five minutes. to the Glenn Beck Program. You're on. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo, sitting in for Glenn. Give us a call, 888-727-BECK. You can also follow me on Twitter, at John Cardillo. We're going to be live-tweeting some of these segments during the show. So really, really interesting story. And I, I don't like to tread into these waters because they get so emotional. But there's a story in National Geographic on transgenderism that I thought was very, very well done because it's not geo and they, they typically do their stories well and, and are apolitical. And they featured, I felt, a really solid cross-section of physicians. They didn't get bogged down in uh, any particular interest groups, advocates. Uh, they didn't get bogged down in, in politicians. They had uh, Dr. Michelle Cretella, president of the American College of Pediatricians. They had other physicians and, and the essential uh, takeaway was that uh, uh, doctors are very concerned. And Tiffany, you know, jump in because you're a parent of a young son. Doctors are concerned with the default position that any child who expresses an interest to uh, uh, play with dolls or, or wear a certain outfit, that the progressive mentality is having parents jump to transgenderism when it may very well be just normal child development. 
Well, absolutely. And I think this is what we're seeing our parents really succumbing to political agendas and left wing narratives as opposed to just parenting your child. I mean, all of us can remember when we were children, we wanted to be lots of things, you know, a My Little Pony, an Optimus Prime, you know, my my nephew wanted to be a werewolf, you know, yeah. for, for basically three years from the ages of, you know, four to seven. And at the end of the day... See, I was a weird kid. I wanted to be a cop. That's why I was putting plastic <laughs> handcuffs on my friend. They hated me for it, but it's a whole nother... And I always had to win the gunfight, too, but that's another story. Well, listen, I mean, the, the idea is that children have all sorts of ideas. This is about being a child and exploring and, and, and being allowed to be a child. Right. And to subject your child to medical intervention that halts puberty, that gives them, you know, hormones, eventually leads to surgery. We don't know what the long-term ramifications are health-wise. Listen, I have no problem but, with but it. Here's, it. But that's a good place. But, but that's, a, that's an interesting place to divert because here's been my issue. With, with any topic that's a sacred cow to progressives, progressives love science until established scientists contradict the progressive narrative. Exactly. So here's what I don't understand. Now, maybe I'm a simplistic guy. But, but I'm not a physician. I'm not a psychologist. My cousin is, is a psychologist, has a PhD in psychology. She and her husband, two of the smartest people I know, and we've spoken about this often. Uh, but, but what I don't understand is, why is there this resistance, no matter what the progressive sacred cow is, that when an esteemed physician steps in, the president of the American College of Pediatricians, for example, when they step in and they express concern via their medical opinion, they have no moral position, no religious position, no political position. They're simply saying the pharmacology involved in what you're doing might be harmful to your child. Isn't that a position that every parent, no matter your 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 ideology, but politically, morally, progressive, conservative, shouldn't every parent care to listen to pediatricians saying the drugs you're introducing into your child's system might be harmful to them? Of course, but with liberalism, feelings trump science. I mean, as you said, they're all about science until feelings come into play, and then everything is then born out of emotion. And if emotionally your child is telling you he or she feels like the opposite sex, well, God forbid a parent doesn't take that seriously. And rather than be a parent and say, well, you know what, I think you need to wait until you're of age, and if you want to make this decision as an adult, that, that's how, on how you. How about not address it at three? Right, or that's how what I mean. about not Don't address, address it at, it at all, just let them be a child. I mean, it's like if your kid at three says, I want to be an astronaut, you're not driving him to NASA, exactly. forcing your way in the door, getting him fitted for the spacesuit. You're kind of saying, okay, you're three years old. You want to be an astronaut. Next week, you're going to want to be a cop and a fireman and a doctor. But that's the thing is parents want to be their children's friends. They want to be liked, and they, they actually kowtow to a child when you are supposed to be the parent. So what are the other takeaways from this piece? Because not you. I mean, it was, it was a, a lot of pages. I kind of got uh, – there came a point where I just had to say, okay, I'm, I've got other things to do. I can't keep reading. And that's when I turn it over to you and order you to read these long-winded 50,000-word articles. What were some of the other takeaways from this? I mean, listen, the, the main takeaway is that gender is now a construct. This is all, everything is, this is all part of moral relativism, right? right. I mean, gender is not uh, a fixed, you know. See, this is dangerous, too, because the courts are starting to adhere to that. And again, again, I don't want to bog down in, in, in political debates or moral debates. Or This is all, I'm looking at this simply through the lens, as we sit here today, of law and medicine. And as a guy who respects people who have accomplished certain things in their life, as a guy who respects people who have gone through the rigorous academic standards 
to be a board certified certified pediatrician or endocrinologist or diagnostician and someone who's made it to the bench, what is wrong with us listening to these people's expertise? That That's what I don't get. We'd walk into a doctor's office for any condition we were afflicted with, maybe get a couple of opinions and one of the doctors we'd feel most comfortable with, and we would leave and say, okay, I'm comfortable with them. Their credentials are impeccable. I'm going to listen to what they tell me. The minute doctors start talking about transgenderism or, or certain other sacred cow issues, all of their training goes out the window. They know nothing. They're morons and progressive politicians know far more than those doctors who spent 12 years in school, years in residency. But what's scary to me is that the judges are now, they're there to me, and again, I am a simple guy, there to me is, is no more obvious delineation than male and female, uh, biologically speaking. Again, but then maybe I'm simple. But we've now got judges that are that are clouding the issue, that are making the issue gray. And it's it's really, I think this is going to, to plague our courts for decades to come, because if we can't rely on medical opinions about introducing drugs into a child's system and that being dangerous, who are we going to rely on? I mean, if, if your pediatrician, if the president of the American College of Pediatricians isn't the person you're going to look to and, and, and listen to when they say this might be harmful to your child. Who do you listen to? Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid? I mean, are they are they now all of a sudden pediatric? I, I don't get it. This is what blows my mind. And it's not even political. I just I'm a linear thinking guy. I'm a common sense guy. And I don't understand how we just so easily discard this expertise. Well, this has been actually a strategy of the left for for ages. It's cultural Marxism, and it's about redefining what we view as normal. That's why the kind of programs we see on television, and again, this has nothing to do with vilifying a particular group of people or a way of life, but the way they have normalized behaviors that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago absolutely would not be considered normal, Is this is basically part of their agenda and, and part of how they... They shift the way we as a society view these things. So now it's absolutely normal if a child says, well, I'm gender fluid. But I think we're giving kids, like we're giving three-year-olds too much power. Like you're three years old, go be seen, not heard. There, There is a public school in the second grade that we're giving books on gender fluidity to children and it's, reading them. See, to I me, mean, that's... This is indoctrination. That's and, ridiculous. And this is, this is part of but, their But agenda. it's a bigger issue, too. And we're going to talk about that uh, after the break. It's about academia and, and how it's that progressive mentality of really believing the state should control the child, should rear the child. So they know well, what's best. Well, right. And all the parents are good for to pay the bills. The parents should pay the bills, feed the kid, clothe the kid, get the kid to and from school because the state's not going to pay for your gas. You should then support the welfare state, pay, pay and pay big money, by the way, in taxes to support the teachers unions and all of these other radical institutions while they indoctrinate your child and take power away from you to to raise your child. And listen, it, it's about the parent should be the one deciding when their child is introduced to sexuality, no matter what aspect of sexuality it is, not a radical uh, American Federation of Teachers employee. If you're a left-wing parent, though, and you're a true believer, you actually are looking to the government and you are looking to these entities for guidance. You really you're are. looking to teachers because, to you, they know best. I want to talk about that when we come back. I want to talk about the influence of academia and how the teachers' union is flipping out, right? The teachers' unions are flipping out that Donald Trump has been elected, and they are flipping out even more over his Secretary of Education pick. I mean, when Randy Weingarten from the American Federation of Teachers despises somebody... I love that person. I don't even have to know anything about them. We're going to talk about that when we come back. You're with John Cardillo sitting in for Glenn Beck, the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. 
727 back. This is the Glenn Beck program. You're on. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck program. I am John Cardillo sitting in for Glenn today and tomorrow. So happy to be here. Big thanks to Glenn and team for handing off the show to me these couple of days while they are on a well-deserved vacation. Give us a call. 888-727-BECK. Going to take a few callers now. We've got Russ from Texas on the line. Russ, are you with me? Yes, I am. Hey, Russ, how are you? Good morning. I'm not too bad, dude. Uh, you know, I, I get the transgender thing, and I understand why the liberals are so freaking upset, but the main thing I'm concerned with is why is the lie continuing, especially when Obama comes out and says, no planned terrorist acts has happened on American soil during my watch. I thought... How freaking ludicrous can you be? Well, well, it wasn't it wasn't only you, Russ, because I'll tell you, my friends in the first responder community, law enforcement, military, fire, fire rescue, paramedics, they were all really they were just insulted by that statement because first responders were were injured. We had military personnel killed by attacks on American soil. They were offended. They were insulted by that, and uh, I, I think. That 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 statement was was uh, wasn't really bought by anybody that was paying attention. That that was one that really solidified for many Obama's legacy as a denier of the threat. So you're not alone in your sentiment on that one. I had to do a double take. Okay, I mean, I was listening to the radio and I heard this come on there, and I literally stopped in the middle of my work and looked at my ratio. And my jaw dropped about sixty, and I'm going, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, I think I think your sentiment your sentiment was echoed was echoed by millions of others. Like I said, you're not alone. Hey, Russ, thanks so much for the call. Merry Christmas. Have a great New Year. Sure. Next, we have Jack from Utah. Jack's on the line. How are you, Jack? Good morning. Good morning. Say, I had something interesting that uh, I've been talking to several people about, and nothing's being done. I uh, heard the story from one of the women that was at the San Bernardino party. She and a friend of hers were waiting at the front door. Once the work portion of the Christmas party was over, the party they had, they were going to go home and nurse their babies. So as they sat there waiting to leave, three people burst into the room and started shooting. The woman was the wheelman. They still haven't found nor talked about the other two people that were there. These well, three Jack, paraded Jack, Jack, around Jack. the room and walked over her. Jack, back up one second. Back up one second. You're talking about the San Bernardino terror attack, and yeah. you're saying you spoke to someone personally that was there. Now, this was someone you spoke to personally or a friend of a friend? The woman sitting in the room at the door with her friend. Her friend was shot. She laid okay. next to her and played possum while these guys walked around shooting everyone else. And she said there were That's three male shooters. 
Okay, and she said there were three male shooters and one female in the car. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that, and we'll look into it. I don't. I hadn't seen that in the official in the official reports, nor in any of the well, after that's action. That's why it took so long for the news and the FBI and such to give such an answer because they were still looking for those two. Well, we're gonna have to and take when they a, realized a deeper they had look. The one. Yeah, I hadn't seen anything on that, but thanks very much for the call. You have a great new year. I'm going to take one more caller before the end of the hour. We've got David from California. David, are you with us? Oh, uh, yeah. Hi, John. Uh, yeah, I was interested more in the uh, main topic, and that's uh, about uh, about Trump and his honesty and where Democrats stand on it. I don't know if you know it, but Democrats and Republicans are no longer the major parties. Uh, the 40% of America is now independent. And the idea that the Democrats and Republicans are hogging uh, all of the limelight and pretending to have the uh, ability to run this uh, nation and leaving 40% out is uh, a scandal. And the idea that you're just playing us Republican against Democrat when 40% have a say in this, too, and they were left out of the debates and they were left out of any discussion uh, afterwards. So well, this it's, is a it's not so much that they were that they were left out of the debates. You know, we didn't see a libertarian candidate or a or a uh, an independent green? candidate ever I'm rise to. They 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 didn't right, but but the Green Party, independent, libertarian, none of their candidates ever rose to support anywhere we near. Ralph Bader, and he got arrested by showing up at the debate. I understand. I understand arrested. that, but he didn't rise. To, uh, arrested. Uh, yeah, Put in, ta- ta- in in cuffs. David, take a breath. Take a breath. We're all, we're all friends here. It, it's it's that no particular candidate ever rose to 40% support. Now, I agree with you. Every candidate should have a voice, but a voice costs money, and you have to buy airtime, and you have to buy internet time, and you have to have a team that can get out there and do your social media outreach. That requires money. And, and at this point in history, Republicans and Democrats have it. Propaganda. What's that? Your big lies, day after day after day. Fox News. You know, Rupert Murdoch isn't even a citizen of America, yet he has he has ownership of 40% of America's well, Hey, David. Hey, David, I appreciate your passion. I really do. But unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our hour. You have a, you have a great New Year. Thanks so much for the call. You know, people are upset, Tiffany. Americans are, are upset. And they're really upset, apparently, at Rupert Murdoch and, and me. <laughs> for not allowing Jill Stein, I guess, into the debate. We have so much more for you when we come back. You're with John Cardillo. It's the Glenn Beck Program. You're clear for nine minutes.